Ah, this is the Sports Booth Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Booth, joined by my co-host and best friend, Chris, the crazy crippler, Apple. Yes. The Apple. Oh, keep keep going if you want. Going off like a Snapple? Mm. No cap, dude? No cap. Chris, no cap, cap. Well, I like that, dude. Hey, you know, I went with that uh, for fantasy this year. You know, that's the privilege I get working with middle school kids is all I hear is either I'm capping or no cap. And so uh, so I'll take that no cap. How are you doing tonight, Mitch? Hey, I'm doing good, man. So I went down, went to work on my house on Saturday. And uh, I just had, we just had like $20,000 worth of foundation work put into it. So we go down there uh, to start working. On the on the cabinets, and we're painting the cabinets, and we're redoing the kitchen. All this stuff, man, it's it's a mess. And we went down to the basement just to see how it looked. Yeah, my basement had like three feet of water in it. Dang, dude, it, the rain here in the Buckeye State has yeah. been insane. Jeez. Yeah, so I went downstairs and I I was like, is my sump pump not working? Like, what's going on? So I unplugged the sump pump, plugged it back in. And then it started pushing the water out. Oh, so it wasn't it wasn't flooding? I, I th- when I first when you first said that, I thought it was flooding, some sort of leak. Well, it was something. flooding, but but it was it, the reason it was flooding is because the sump pump wasn't working apparently. So now I gotta have some guy uh, come in and he's gonna re he he he's gonna fix the sump pump. Uh, he's gonna put in a new sump pump. And so I had to, I spent my whole weekend like power washing. I power okay. washed my mother-in-law's house and I went over and power washed out my basement since it was all freaking muddy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's been my Memorial day weekend. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what about yours, man? Yeah. Um, it's been good. So we successfully grilled, uh, three days in a row, uh, started to, uh, cook out at Perry. who was on here. Perry hosted us for a cookout on Friday. Nice. The, the, uh, in-laws, Alyssa's parents, uh, down in, down in Columbus on, um, on Saturday, no, on Sunday, on Sunday, we cooked out Saturday. This Memorial Day weekend, when you add on the extra day on Monday, it just puts me back a day. So yeah, we, and it's coronavirus, so all the days, yeah, like, kind of so, run together. You can't yeah, even tell which Basically, one I had no shot to begin with. But, yeah, so basically did Perry's cookout. Alyssa's parents made fantastic dinner, awesome grilling. And, then of course, yesterday I got my neighbor, um, and we cooked out some also. And so it was a great weekend. Uh, you know, super hot here, man. Like, what, like 85, 86, all the humidity. Um, so, but also I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about something. So I'm warming up, you know, leftover hamburgers, right. Uh, from our cookout yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I referred to it as a snack and my lovely wife, Alyssa, uh, disagreed. She said hamburgers are, she would not consider hamburgers a snack. Now, I want to remind you, this is kind of like the store, like the patties at Kroger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of thin. They fit on like the, the smaller buns. This isn't a double stack or like the huge, huge buns. Would you consider with me that uh, a hamburger like that, all it was was ketchup and cheese. Would, would you consider that to be a snack or no? Okay, so here's the thing. I, I think when it comes to snack – I think it, you have to determine whether it's a meal or not. So, like, if it's not breakfast and it's not lunchtime yet, 
then it's a snack. Yeah, okay. If it's not lunchtime and it's not dinner time, but you have it in between, it's a snack. That's what I think. So it doesn't matter how large it is. So if you had so it doesn't matter how large it is, it depends on what time of the day you eat it, because that determines what the meal is. I think so. so. But okay. like say you're That's having a late lunch. I think it listen, if you're just having the the hamburger. Yeah. You're not having no sides or nothing. Nope. Then that's just a snack, yes. And and that was my stance. And I, I'm like, these things are so small. Like, you know, I eat it, and I'm it, I'm totally fine to eat again. Or maybe that's just me, just because you know, I like Bash Memorial Day is great food. Oh, but, for sure. Uh, so I was I was curious to what what you thought about that. So glad we got that answer. Glad we got that covered. Yeah. Uh, love having leftover burgers in the fridge. All right, guys, we got a loaded show today. Uh, we're gonna get right into it. Um, so we've got uh, some stuff going on with uh, the stock market and sports. Uh, we've got a little bit of NBA to talk. Yep. Um, we've got MLB uh, coming out with a new proposal to start the season. Uh, mm. We've got NHL. They have some plans, so we're going to talk that. And then uh, we'll try and end the show uh, discussing the preseason. Um, oh, and I forgot. We're going to talk about uh, somewhere in the mess of the show – we're going to talk about what we think uh, a successful season for Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield respectively would look like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so really, yeah, man, Chris, you ready to get into it? Oh, absolutely, brother. Let's, uh, let's dive on in. All right, man. Listen, uh, talk about sports gambling. Um, the thing going on in the stock market right now, uh, DraftKings just became – just went public. Um, and so now – uh, you can buy stock in DraftKings, and I think that that's a good outlook for what's going on with sports gambling. Chris, what's your what's your stance on sports gambling? Yeah, so um, so I definitely I've this does not relate to me personally. I'm not a gambler to begin with, but I have plenty of friends who really enjoy sports gambling in a healthy way. Um, and so I think it's great for the sport and kind of like fantasy sports, you know, it gets, it can create more avenues for people who aren't in it for the storylines of the game itself to become involved in these sports, to, to have something, to have something involved, to have something in each game that's going on. Um, so, I mean, I'm an advocate of sports gambling. Um, and, and so, so yeah, so, you, I know I initially had questions when you told me that uh, with DraftKings going public, I initially had questions on if this is a good or bad thing, if, there was a, if this was a negative response uh, due to sports leagues being closed and COVID in general. So uh, my question for you is, could you kind of like break down exactly how this is a good thing for, for DraftKings and the betting industry in general? So, one, I think it is – I do think it is a reaction to the coronavirus because right now uh, there's not a lot of sports going on, and so DraftKings is struggling with that uh, to privately – you know, like for them to privately continue to make money without their driving force. This is like what they do. This is the main purpose of their business is sports and sports betting. So I think – from that aspect, them opening up and putting stock um, out on the public market on, on Wall Street, I think that it is partially a response to COVID-19. Okay. But I also 
think that in in retrospect, when you look at it, if you were to look at it a different way, what I would say is that I think that's a good thing for DraftKings. I think that's a I think it's a smart decision. One, because what it does is it gives them access to more capital in the future so that they can invest in back into their business. Okay. And then they can use the money that they're getting from their stock and create more, uh, maybe find different niches and things like that, that they can offer. Um, I mean, even things like, I mean, there's so many sports out there that you, we don't even know about Chris, you know, and maybe they will find and develop um, a, a new way to gamble on sports. I mean, we have no clue. Technology is constantly evolving access to that capital from the public. um, It will, I think it will spur new innovation. So I think that's a good thing. I also think that from a legal step from, you know, like gambling, Used to, sports gambling used to be really bad. It used to have a negative connotation to it. Pete Rose, I mean, is he even in the Hall of Fame? He should be in the Hall of Fame. He's not, yeah. He's not, see? And and it was all because of sports gambling. And so there used to be like a really negative connotation about sports gambling. But now we see that the public is interested in investing in sports gambling. And I think that that's a big I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing when DraftKings is doing this, we're seeing two things. One, we get to see new, maybe access to capital that could lead to new innovation in gambling. But we're also seeing uh, the, that the public has kind of changed the perception yeah. of sports gambling. So now it's becoming more acceptable. Yeah. So um, yeah. now I- their stock – I, I did some research today. I, and listen, if you're out there and you want to invest, I, I can talk about that too. I love I love to talk business. Um, but I think DraftKings would be a good stock to buy right now. Um, I think it's around 30, 30 bucks per share. Um, so it's not too steep. And now would be the time to buy it uh, because they're, it, it's low, it's new. And I think that once sports starts back up, I think you're going to see stock prices rise because everybody's going to be buying it. Yeah. And I, I love that point of just like, kind of like, yeah, thinking about how far we've come or now the public wants to financially invest in this industry. Uh, so yeah, I really, I really like that point that you made there um, just to show where we are right now as a society when it comes to sports uh, gambling. Um, but yeah, Pete Rose's discussion for another day. Uh, yeah. I'm with you there. I think he should be in. Uh, I guess the rule is here, no, don't gamble on yourself, kids, all right? I, I, guess, I guess that's what we're walking away with, man. Yeah, and, and listen, I just want to say this about sports gambling, too. Um, if there's a big – there is a big connotation about it, but honestly, if you're one of those people that thinks that sports gambling is bad, uh, think back to March Madness and think when your, your work did a, a, a bracket – and everybody threw in five bucks and the winner got to keep the money. Yeah. Uh, that's sports gambling. Yeah. Like, I hate to break it to you. What you're doing is kind of illegal. So if yeah. you were to do it on DraftKings, it would be actually legal. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. hey, I think that it's good. I think it's a good innovation. I think it will garner more attention in sports. I think it will also lead to more attention and more money being in 
being invested in things like uh, the WNBA, for example, where um, where normally, I mean, I hate to say this, and it, but it's true, um, and the feminists are probably going to hate this for me, but the WNBA does not get as much viewership as the NBA does because it's just, I don't know. I don't, I think there's a lack of a market for it, but if you open up gambling on it, yeah. then I think people will watch it, you know, oh, yeah, because yeah. you're able to gamble on it. So uh, that's, that's just my two cents. So I think that that's a good sign for sports in general. I think it was a good decision on DraftKings part. Um, but Hey, if you disagree with me, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Um, I'm at Twitter at OFC Mitch Booth. Uh, you could find me there. You could also find me on Facebook. Hey, I'm there for the arguments, man. Yeah. I'm there. Hey, and with that in mind, I've actually got to, you know, we've got to create our uh, social media page for this podcast. Bring that out. I'm about to be on summer break. Uh, so I'll gladly put that on myself. So watch out soon. We're going to drop some, uh, some accounts here on, on social media so that we can get involved have those debates, have those discussions, uh, and really get some viewer um, connection here because we, we'd, we'd love to do that, uh, you know, and, and, and talk sports. And if gambling is one way to get more viewers, get more people watching sports, and that lets me selfishly be able to talk more sports with people, I'm about it because I can talk sports. That's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, so speaking of gambling, uh, I think the Bengals took a huge gamble. They sucked last year. <laughs> and I think they took a huge gamble, um, and it paid off when they ultimately ended up with with Joe Burrow. Uh, we've talked we've talked endlessly about Joe Burrow and how good we think he is. Um, but one thing I don't think we've touched on, Chris, is what equals success for Joe Burrow. And and there are so like there's a difference, obviously, between Paxton Lynch coming into the, somebody like Paxton Lynch coming in. NFL and Joe Burrow coming into the NFL. You know, yeah. I think there's there's definitely a difference. I think there's a higher standard than even Kyler Murray. I think people are expecting a lot more from Joe Burrow than Kyler Murray. Um, what? Yeah. I know you were reading an article about it. Kind of break that down for us. Yeah, absolutely. And at first when you were uh, transitioning over here, I thought you were going to call Joe Burrow the gamble that the Bengals take, but you wouldn't be wrong in that because – as a rookie, there there is gamble, there is risk to anybody that you draft at any slot, especially in the first round, if they don't meet the first round expectations that you have for them. Uh, so Kurt Warner came on, um, came out this week talking about Joey, and he was saying that what deems a successful season for Joe in his rookie year isn't about statistics, and he was he was um, he was discussing how for him what what would be successful isn't statistics or wins and losses, but instead it'd be in seeing, um, seeing the improvement on, on the field each week in a progression. So what he's, what he talked about how that looked was, you know, learning from his mistakes, um, seeing the improvements like tangible, tangible evidence of him learning and getting better throughout the season um, as opposed to making the same mistakes and even declining throughout the season, uh, which you and I don't think don't expect that for Joe. We're, we're pretty, you know, we're, we're, I would buy in on him speaking about gambling. I would, I'm, I'm buying Joe Burrow. 
Um, but so this led me to think like, how would I deem a successful rookie season for Joe? And I kind of agree with Kurt Warner that it goes beyond statistics and team record. Uh, we both discussed that we don't expect the Bengals to be that competitive this year. But I, I would say one area of a statistic that I would deem successful for Joe would be interceptions and inter interception rate. For me, you know, you never want to have any quarterback have a ton of interceptions and definitely not um, outnumber their touchdowns uh, to interception rate or their interception touchdown rate. Um, but for me, when you look at a guy that throughout his collegiate career, high school career, he one thing that he has excelled at is not turning the ball over. And that's included, you know, two years at LSU and the SEC. And if he were to come to NFL and he start having a high interception rate, which I would deem as 15 interceptions or more, I would be a little concerned there um, just because this isn't a guy that, ha that, that has that track re record. We'll get to Baker here in a second, but Baker was somebody who coming in the draft, he kind of predicted that, you know, some 12 to 15 interception seasons may not be outside the realm of possibility with him with how he throws it around the field, which can be good, but we know that can lead to mistakes. Joe's kind of the opposite of that. He's more conservative uh, and is, he's much more conservative in his passes. He's, um, he's you know, and he, he doesn't put the ball in questionable spots. And so interception rate, interceptions would be a statistic of worry for me with a certain threshold of 15 or more, then I would deem that as bit of an unsuccessful season for Joe specifically due to his lack of turning the ball over throughout his playing career. But I, I, I agree with Kurt Warner, seeing the improvements each week. Uh, and one thing that he's been lauded for at LSU is learning from his mistakes. You don't see him make the same mistake twice, which is huge. And so I think a successful season for Joe Burrow looks like um, – looks like accuracy his accuracy going up throughout the season as his chemistry with his receivers builds and we start to see that kind of sit his accuracy sit in the same window for a couple weeks in a row but at least increasing and and I would say yeah just low turnovers and and I and I would look at final scores for each game also you know, one thing you don't want your quarterback doing is losing ball games for you, which Joe has never had that tagline of doing. So if his team's – even if they're losing by a possession or, or two, that's still showing me that he's not hurting the team. And if he can fix a couple of these – if he can improve on some of these drives where maybe he didn't make the right, right read or he held on the ball too long, and that could result in, in some more points, then that puts his team as a whole in better position to win ballgames. So that's why I'm thinking, what are you thinking as a successful season for uh, Joe Burrow next season? Uh, ultimately, I think what is going to be successful or not is his touchdowns. Um, yeah. I expect him to score uh, somewhere between 20 and 23 touchdowns. Um, and I think that's doable with the receiving core that he has. I will have to disagree with you on one edge, and that's uh, the final scores. Yeah. Listen, I think that if Joe Joe does not play on a on a good team, and I think that if he's getting blown out a lot, see that would give me confidence to say, okay, we got to just stick with him, let him get blown out a little bit, let him learn, let him get beat up, 
and that will add to his character. And I think if he's losing a lot of a lot of games by possession or more, I think that, that means that his team is competitive, and in the final minutes, he's the one that's not getting it done. So. Okay. For me, yeah. I would say what's going to be point. successful for him is, one, I think he's got to have touchdowns. I think if your success on a field does not equal scoring, then it's not really success, you know. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's on the offense as a whole, but I also think it is on Joe Burrow. He's the most talented person on that team, honestly, right now. Um, and then I think, you know, he's going to throw some – he's going to throw some interceptions. I think that's a given. Um, and I think you're right, man. I would put it on, um, I would say 14 interceptions, 12 interceptions, you know, somewhere between 12 to 14 interceptions for him on a year, just looking at it. He does yeah. not have a, an easy schedule, in my opinion. I think he's got he's got to play the Ravens twice. He's got to play the Steelers with an elite defense twice. He's got to play uh, the Browns, who have two really good cornerbacks. Um, and then – I mean, he's just got he he's got it's going to be tough for him this year, um, and especially when he's not having rookie mini camp, he's not having in person rookie mini camp. Um, I, I think that's going to be really tough on him. Um, so I'm I'm expecting probably twenty touchdowns, fourteen interceptions. Yeah, um, and I think that that's a good campaign for him. I think that's a good. Uh, that's a good year. That's a solid okay. year for him. Yeah, yeah, and he's definitely playing against some really tough defenses. Uh, looking at now, you know, he's he's got Tennessee, he's got Dallas, uh, Houston. We know they have some playmakers. Um, they, they they've got the Colts, and he opens up against the Chargers, who who I consider you know a really good defense. And I've been saying that if they can get that quarterback situation figured out, that that might be my dark horse for the season. Um, but yeah, some those are some really good points. Um, and and to make one one thing clear though, when I talk about an unsuccessful success or successful season, either way, I strongly suggest that the Bengals stick it out with them no matter what. Yeah. He has an unsuccessful season. I'm not counting out Joe Burrow at all. Right. I mean, the odds are kind of stacked against him, like you mentioned, without the in-person rookie minicamp without being able to get with his guys right now, even though there are other reports that, you know, he is. But, you know, we'll see how long these uh, these teams are limited in what they can do, uh, even though right now NFL facilities are open, up to 75 people at maximum, though, and the only players are really there for rehabs uh, from injuries. Um, so we still have a little bit of ways until we go till they're able to practice. Uh, but yeah, I just want to make that clear. Unsuccessful or not, uh, the Bengals should definitely stick with Joey. Right. But, um, but I just see, I'm not putting a huge stake in the touchdowns necessarily because of the fact of, yes, his guys look great on paper, that the receivers look good on paper offensively, but he hasn't been able to work with those guys. And, um, and you have a really good running back especially in the red zone, you know, Joe Mixon could vulture some touchdowns from him. Um, we've seen Joe even run it, run the ball in. He's athletic. So I'm not putting high stake on touchdowns. That's why my – Well, I'm talking total touchdowns for him on the season. Okay. touchdowns, passing touchdowns. I think combined he has somewhere around – let me ask you this, Chris. Over yeah. or under, okay, 19 and a half touchdowns for Joe Burrow. Over or under? 
I'm going over. I'm going so over that. 20 or more touchdowns, you think? Because with you, I, you know, I'm going over that because I think he could definitely – I don't see Joe Burrow as a 15-passing touchdown guy, and that's just passing touchdowns. I think I could see him this rookie season just in his ability to expand on broken plays, his um, sense of the pocket. I could see him getting three or four rushing touchdowns as, as a floor statistic this season alone in his first year in the NFL. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, my stake is just on the scores and the, and the turnovers. Because, to me, if he's turned the ball over, that's not the Joe Burrow that I've watched since 2015, you know, that's uh, – or 2013. That, that's not the same guy that I've watched that, that has made an art out of not turning the ball over so if he's yeah, but you have that. to remember. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you have to remember that he's not working out with these guys, and you know it. You have to have you have to have some chemistry with your wide receivers, because listen, when we're playing football, me and you, and where you're going out on the pass, there's a good chance I know which way you're going to cut. You, you, Joe Burrow might not know which way AJ Green's going to cut, and if he throws a ball that's that's maybe um, behind him, then it's going to get picked. If he throws a ball in front of him, it might get picked, you know? So to me, I I think that's why I think that he'll have between 12 and 14 interceptions. Um, And as far as touchdowns, honestly, I might take the under on that. I think he'll go – I think 19 would be more likely. I'm expecting between 20 and 23, but I think 19 is pretty – pretty savvy i wouldn't bet my life on him getting 20 to 23 touchdowns yeah, yeah but to reiterate my point though you know you look back at his first year at lsu he's been on the mic constantly saying that the biggest difference between year one and two was being able to build that chemistry he's he said he got to lsu and he really you know we know how college recruit recruiting is he didn't get to meet those guys at all before he walked in the facility as a, as an lsu tiger you look at that first season that he was there, he only had five interceptions, and that includes – But he had a training camp with the them. Bowl game. He had a training camp with them. It wasn't in the middle of COVID-19. Which is why it's really interesting to see if he still has that training camp this year or not. But even with that, wouldn't that make you want to be more conservative on your decision-making if, if you haven't had time to build that chemistry? Wouldn't that make you more – I would think that would make you more conservative to – hit the five yard out that you know is there rather than push the ball 50 yards down the field to somebody that you don't know their tendencies, that you don't have that relationship with, you know? So that's yeah, just but I my also point. Think, I also think the quarterbacks, and we'll talk about Baker Mayfield later. I think this is what Baker Mayfield does, but he gets paralysis. Like there is no such thing as paralysis by analysis. You know what I'm saying? There is Jameis Winston that goes down the field and just launches the ball down the field and gets picked off. But I think there are also quarterbacks that maybe hold on to the ball too long and it gets them in trouble sometimes. Yeah, you know and, that's, so, and, and, and that's why this is very much a visual test also. So if we come back at the end of the season and enjoy three, four, you know, 20, through 20, 20 interceptions, but we look at the ball games that he's in, you know, say fourth quarter he's down 30 and he has to throw it up, then, yeah, you kind of see where some of his interceptions could come in. So a lot of it goes in the eye test. But I, I'm scared if I see him throw more than 15. If he throws more interceptions than games played, let's put it that way, that way 
then then I'm I'm worried about who this guy is because I've never seen him come close to that, like I said, since 2013. Well, I, you know, I I don't think that he's going to over 15 or so. I said 12 to 14. I'm just saying that when we're measuring success of a quarterback, it it's not always about the intercept. Like sometimes there's interceptions that just aren't, you know, like – you know, Baker had a few interceptions that were tipped by the receiver yeah. and the defender was just in the right spot, you know? Yep. So, I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of tricky when you talk about interceptions and you talk about yeah. touchdowns because yeah. you're right. You could – there are some where, where, you know, Joe may drive him down the field to the one and then they give it to Joe Mixon and he runs in, you know? So, it's – it's a yeah. – uh, it's a very um, interesting debate. Uh, so do you want to move on to Baker Mayfield? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Baker would deem a successful season. I'd put a lot more stake on wins. Uh, coming into year three, uh, we, we saw the less than extraordinary season than what we expected last year. Coming into year three, all these offensive weapons, a team that very much considers themselves contenders, or at least we as the viewers are considering them contenders, at least definitely contenders for the division. I haven't heard too much of the Super Bowl monikers out there yet, but I think that's mainly because people are a little scared from what happened last season. But for Baker, I put a lot more stock into the into his wins, into how many wins the Browns get this season as what deems a successful season. And and I would also I would also put um I want to put touchdowns in this because there's so many weapons on that team, you know, between Nick Chubb and Kareem and you think about that defense, what they could do and Baker running the ball and even Jarvis with the, with the reverse passes and all that crazy stuff that they could do. I don't put a ton of stock in in the touchdowns, um, but I think the driving, the driving, uh, thing that determines the successful season for Baker for me is wins and losses. What about you? Uh, I would have to say yes. And and you made some a comment about uh, Baker Mayfield earlier that I kind of disagreed with. You said that Baker Mayfield, you you saw him kind of throw the ball down the field and put the ball in jeopardy. Um, actually, I think to the contrary of that, when Baker was coming out of Oklahoma. Um, he was the most accurate passer in that draft. As a matter of fact, Baker, his 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 uh, accuracy percentage was 70%. So at seven out of ten times, uh, Baker is completing a pass, and that is remarkable. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. do that. Listen, no, no, no. I couldn't do that at the Y against fat guys, to be honest. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> – and Baker Mayfield goes out there and does it against college athletes, the best of the best. And here's what I think really got Baker um, last year. Baker's the, – the offense under Freddie Kitchens had too many options to it. It wasn't scripted. They didn't have an identity. Um, they yeah. – it wasn't like – you know, like we would see him when the first half was scripted. I've talked about this a lot. When the first half was scripted, Baker was fired. Um, when the second half came in and yep. Hillbilly Freddie took over, um, <laughs> he, he sucked. It, it was like he was just throwing – like it was like Freddie was just calling plays that he saw on Madden and thought was good. You know what I mean? It's, it, 
Freddie Kitchens, it's not Madden. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't just go out there and call a play because you think it might score. There has to be a method to the madness, you know? And that's where I think that the discipline of Kevin Stefanski is really going to benefit Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And so, one, he, he's got to win, in my opinion. He has to win. Uh, two, I think he has to score with all of the with all of the weapons that he has at his disposal. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, uh, he can do anything. I still think that he has to score over twenty five touchdown total touchdowns to be success for me to look and be like Baker's on fire, bro. He is he is the guy, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I also I think. Kevin Stefanski is what he's going to do is take the options away from Baker. And when Baker Mayfield says hike, he knows that there's two guys that he's going to throw to one, one of the two, and he's going to drop back, make the read and make the, and throw the pass. And he's going to know exactly what to do. And I think, and there's a danger to that because you know, you might make a wrong read every now and then, but I think what that's going to do is that's really going to benefit Baker um, because yeah. when he is passing the ball and he does know where he's going with the ball like he did at Oklahoma, um, he's, he's throw, he threw 70%. So I, I think that that is a great fit for Baker. And here's the thing. We needed another uh, – we needed a left tackle – we went out there and got a left tackle. We needed better at O-line. We went out there and got Jack Conklin. Uh, we needed depth to the center position. We went out there and got a center. Uh, we needed a better yep. tight end. We went out there and got Austin Hooper. Um, we, needed a, we needed more depth in the wide receiver room. We go out and get Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, yep. and, and we pick up Harrison Bryant as an as a extra option. Yeah. So, I mean, we got three talented tight ends. We've got – probably five good wide receivers. Um, and, and then we've got three good tight – did I say three tight ends? Yeah, yeah. You said we got two amazing running backs. Yep. I mean, and they're the at this Don't point – about the fullback. And the fullback. Yeah, what's his name? Usich? Uh, no, no, no. That's uh, – you're, you're thinking about um, San Francisco. I wish we had Cal Usich. No, this is uh, – Guy from Denver, I'm blanking on his name right now, but yeah, continue. Vonovich, something like that. Yeah, grizzly looking guy. Yeah, anyway, we got a good, yeah, we needed a fullback for Kevin Stefanski's offense. We go out, we get a fullback. I mean, listen, Baker has every chance. He, we've seen him do well um, without the weapons, just Jarvis Landry, Hollywood Higgins, and some other. No name wide receiver, Damian Ratley, whatever. We saw him go out there and kill it um, with just Nick Chubb, and and the offense was scripted. You know, when he broke the rookie touchdown record, he didn't have near as many weapons as he has now at his disposal. And so um, I, I think Baker, if he doesn't make the playoffs, I think that this season is a failure. Yeah, okay. So real quick, two things there. Uh, I've, I've never questioned Baker's accuracy. And that was one thing that was so surprising last season that his his numbers his accuracy was so much lower because that tends to be the constant with quarterbacks in the NFL. What do we hear? Accuracy travels, and that was what was so concerning. Which I agree with you. Sound like it was more of a game plan issue, coaching issue, because we just saw Baker come in his rookie year and just be 
you know, very accurate with the football and put it exactly where he wants, where he wanted to put it. My thing was, and, and like I said, this isn't a knock on him, but he, he, the comp that I kept hearing over and over again of him coming out of college was Brett Favre. You're going to get the gunslinger. This guy can zing the ball. He's accurate with it, but, and, and he gets, and he makes big plays and, and he can create highlights off of his arm. But what, what comes to that sometimes is an interception or two that come with throwing the ball around the field. That does not say it's not accurate, but as you throw it more, as you have more of a cannon on it, I think that's more prone for, you know, fingertips to, for to get tipped, um, for you to get maybe a little too confident and, and try to squeeze in a window that maybe isn't as open as you thought. And so that's not a knock on him. That's just the gunslinger that he is. You know, you take some – and and you lose some sometimes, but I don't think it's anything that's going to jeopardize that could jeopardize this season or his career as a whole. Uh, that's my stance on that. Also, number two, when it comes to Madden, four verts. Who you who you throwing to? Four verts. <laughs> Listen, a a on Xbox every day, dude. I know all I, day, every day. That inside route with the tight end or the slot guy. I mean, whoever it is, sometimes. You even line up your little running back out there, man. You put put Kareem Hunt out there on the on the on the slot yeah. tight end area and sling it to him, dude. Yeah, yep. no, I'm with you. Every everybody has a four has a four verse uh, number one option. Mine's RB on Xbox for sure. That's the sign guy sign guy in on the right or left side, whichever one is your strong side. Uh, once he crosses through the corner and, he, and there's like a two second window, even maybe less than that. Where he's in no man's land, he's wide open. You guys, you gotta hold down RB. It has to be a bullet pass right to his hand. Zing uh, that ball in there. Just zing that ball. But yeah, so I agree with you that wins and losses that is the major major determining factor for Baker May- Mayfield. Now, will I be confused if they go thirteen and three and he has fifteen passing touchdowns? Yeah, I'll be really confused. But I think that thirteen and three is valid for a very hefty payday uh, coming into his fourth year. Um, and so, yeah, this whole unsuccessful, successful talk, I, I don't know how he could be in this offense. I don't know how he could be awake in this offense with a heartbeat and not get 25 touchdown passes, 23 touchdown passes. Um, unless, like I said, you have so many weapons as, you know, Nick Chubb in the red zone, Kareem, all those guys. Um, but when it just comes to, deeming it unsuccessful I'm not so much looking at the stats with Baker or the touchdown specifically but instead I'm looking for uh for the for the wins but career trajectory wise yeah I'd like to see less interceptions this season to see see that drop down see him learning going into his third season were all those his fault no but I'd like to see that number still go go down still so uh, right. but for the most part I agree with you yep wins and losses I think are essential for Baker Mayfield coming to his third season in the NFL, which is tough with a new head coach. Uh, but he has the unlucky draw of no excuses when it comes to your teammates. And that's what, um, so a lot of people are going to be uh, judging him on is not the system that he's in, but because of the guys that he has around him. Yeah. Uh, speaking of no excuses, um, Let's talk about the NBA, uh, the players. The, the league has no more excuses. Um, <laughs> there was a study that came out on ESPN. Um, the players, uh, 
from the Players Association, NBA Players Association, a higher up came out and said that the sentiment from majority of the players is that they want to play the season. Um, so how does the NBA make this work, Chris? Um, I, I am confused. I, at this point, I think you have to say we're going to take the top teams and do the playoff. Uh, yeah. Because it's too far into the – because by the time they're done, you know what I mean, by the time they're done playing the season, it's going to be, you know, August. And yep. then that's going to cut in to when they start for preseason in October. So, I mean, yeah. you've yep. got to really decide here your plan of action. Yep. And that's why, listen, I'm, I'm still a big proponent of the idea that you do a 30 team playoff one team each, you know what I mean? Maybe they have a play, yeah. maybe it's 24 and they have a playoff to find the, the last spots. Yeah. yeah like a wild card. Um, yeah. And, and get in and just do it one, one game each. Yep. And, um, and listen, everybody is going to complain about it and say, well, the regular season didn't matter. Well, listen, if you're better than freaking win, Yep. In the story, right? Yep. And, you know, this is – I agree with you. You know, so we've got new developments in their plan that uh, Darren Silver's – Adam Silver's conference calls with teams that he would like to come with – finalize a plan within these next two weeks. Um, and so it looks like any day now we could really begin an official uh, concrete plan for the remainder of their season, much like the NHL did which we'll touch on here in a second. Uh, but, yeah, it will be really interesting to see how they format this. What we do know is that uh, they're leaning towards one location for all games we play, and that location being in Orlando. Um, and so – but as far as how many teams who will be competing, if it's going to start on the postseason or conclude regular season, that remains to be seen. I've seen reports of a summer league look to it where, you know, maybe teams are just playing like starting in the morning and in at night, multiple games a day. Uh, and what's really interesting is I've heard a lot of this could be the next great docu-series is because when these guys, whatever location they pick, they the players will not be able to leave. And this is for any league. And, uh, and now there's sources saying that, the NBA's plan could be to get a hotel, to buy out a hotel or have a hotel specific for the league and just cramming all the players in there. And uh, talk about a great docu-series, that could be um, if if you're just following a hotel with 30 NBA teams all under one roof without anywhere else to go except for their games. Um, but it's really interesting so you, you, you're advocating for the one through 30, just everybody gets in and just like a March Madness feel is how I describe it. Um, there's been a lot of movement, you know, over these last couple of years, we've seen the NBA kind of lean towards, have discussions of getting rid of divisions. Because who, who keeps track of the divisions in the NBA, right? Like, yeah, some I can't even think of them. Some of you listeners probably couldn't even rattle off. I don't know if I could rattle off all the division what their names are in the NBA and who is in them. I have no clue. I know in the East, there's the Atlantic. In the West, there's like the Southwest. It's weird. Yeah, nobody looks at that stuff. Um, and so this could be a great time for the NBA to try to 
you know, tweak some of that, try to look at, mess with that, see what that could kind of look like if they got rid of divisions or maybe even conferences. What if you go one through 16, just the best teams in the NBA play in this neutral site? What's interesting about that, though, is there's, I think the only reason, so if we, I think, in my opinion, if, if we got conclusion to the regular season, that would be for one sole purpose, and that would be to get the New Orleans Pelicans, especially, or even the Portland Trailblazers or the Spurs in the playoffs. One of those three teams that are on the cusp but not in, because think about the revenue, think about the attention of Zion Williamson was in the NBA playoffs, and the Pelicans got the number 16 seed, or better yet, if they got the 15th overall seed, and they played the Lakers in round one, which is what we'd all been hoping for coming down the final stretch of the NBA season. And so there's a lot of money that could be made from doing that. Now, currently, as it stands, the one seed would be Milwaukee and 16 would be the Orlando Magic. What's really interesting about that is you're playing in Orlando. So do you want the hometown team to be able to play in their hometown city? That would be the only team with home court advantage. Now, does that mean that I've been expecting the Magic to go and beat the Bucks in some game series? Not at all. But, you know, that's still – it's a balance of how the owners view the revenue that's going to come in from that. So, very intriguing. But I thought it was fun to look at some of these matchups if we did go 1 through 16. Um, I don't really feel like picking on my Cavaliers and doing a 1 through 30 March Madness style and debating the Cavs' chances against the Lakers in the first round. Uh, but, you know – when you look at these matchups, you go one through 16, you've got the Lakers versus the Nets. Well, Kyrie's back. That's, a, that's an if, interesting matchup. What if KD's, KD looks really doubtful. If but, KD's back, that would be intense. Yeah, what, what, if, what if he did? Or even just with Kyrie, uh, if he recovers going against LeBron. And then, you know, you've got the, <laughs> the Clippers and Mavericks. I, I like that matchup. I think that's a great matchup. Uh, yeah, Luka Doncic and uh, – Kristaps uh, Porzingis, that could be a good. That could be a good game. That that would be sick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you just hey, sorry look- by the way, man. My my computer decided to go um, full Ferris Bueller mode and take a day off for the podcast. So I haven't really been. I'm kind of paying attention, but at the same time, like oh, you're good. I only I heard half of what you said, but I hey, I'm 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 all in. Well, you know, you just gotta you know on uh, on Wednesday. You just got to click the link, and uh, you can listen to us, all right, Mitch? And uh, <laughs> let's, let's know what you think. But you just kind of look at these matchups. If you go one through 16 seed, I think they're really intriguing, and it could prove to show uh, show what the NBA could be if they decided to go off of what they have been. And I think that could be really cool. Um, and then speaking of other leagues that, are, that have made uh, statements on their plans, like I said, the NHL has released – their their full on plan to pick up the season. The only thing they're missing is the um, is the location and the starting dates. But they're going to have 24 teams, and they're going to start in the postseason. Um, and and they are going to have one location for all the games. So we'll see how that looks and where that is. And there's still some negotiations between the players' union and the owners. You know, not, I don't want to call it negotiations. There's still details to be finalized in terms of safety, how are the players going to stay safe in terms of test testing. Uh, 
and well yeah just safety and health overall what with what kind of preseason what kind of practices how can I get back in the the form of things and with and with and with MLB uh we a new proposal uh was announced by MLB um which would include a slider salary cut system which means that the top players the top money earners in MLB they would be the most to lose on their salaries and the bomb level guys would make basically the what they signed on for they would they would make they would they would collect all their money that they were owed for the season which is interesting and we'll see where that goes yeah for sure i think uh i, I really like that idea about uh, the top – I understand that they're top player, but at the same time, the top players are making the most money, and they can handle a loss better than the guys yeah. at the bottom of – in the AAA, and um, they're out here scrounging around working summer jobs uh, to play baseball. And yep. so, you know, I like that idea. Um, and I'm excited to see a shortened season in the MLB uh, because I want to see what that would look like. I think they should shorten the NBA season. Um, to be honest, the only season I think needs to be longer is NFL, dude. <laughs> <laughs> good For luck sure. with that. And good luck with baseball shortening because I really do not think that we are ever going to get away from 162 just for the fact that baseball is such a st- statistic-driven sport. It's all numbers. And if you start skewing everything off of that, all these baseball purists are not going to enjoy that. Um, but – but yeah, so think about like your tax bracket. You know, the the highest earners, they're gonna lose the most. And the the guys that aren't making nearly as much towards the bottom, they're gonna they're gonna lose the least. And yeah, uh, and I agree with that. And you want to talk about a league, uh good for PR. Uh I assume the owners want us to be on their side, but good for PR to say, hey, good job looking out for uh, looking out for the bottom earners here guys. yeah yeah and, and not and not necessarily just giving the same cut to everybody your typical tax bracket uh format i forget what that term is called you might know uh the uh economic term for tax you mean like a like a um like a tax cut pay like a tax rate yeah Standard yeah. tax rate Whatever, whatever that term is for the different stratas involved. Trickle down economics. <laughs> hey, hey, there you go. I was just happy last week with, uh, oh, I dropped uh, in, intrinsic motivation, intrinsic value, yes. the 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 value put on bettering yes. yourself, self uh, motivation. So that right. that's as scholarly as we're getting right, there. We're going to get to the preseason today. We're going to talk NFL preseason. I don't think we're going to get there today, um, but I do want to drop a new segment. Uh, today in, in the time we have remaining um, I want to drop a segment called right and wrong this is based on Ka- Colin Cowherd does this I have a lot of respect for Colin Cowherd hat tip to Colin Cowherd so what we're gonna do Chris yeah uh, I'll go first and I'll give a take okay. um, I'll give a take I'll give let's do four takes okay um, I'll do one take that I thought was right one take that I thought was wrong one take that I thought was right and one take that I thought was wrong. Okay. Okay. And then you'll go. And I'm giving four also. Well, it doesn't matter because I'm springing on this last minute. Okay. All right. so, okay. All right. We'll start. Here we go. Uh, where I was right. Listen, 
Um, I was right about Cam Newton. Um, I, a few weeks ago on the show, I told Chris, I told Andy that I did not think that there was going to be a, a place on an NFL roster from Cam, for Cam Newton. I thought that if there was any buyers, that it would be the New England Patriots. Um, and now we see that the, the Patriots really like Jared Stidham. Um, and quite frankly, nobody wants a celebrity backup. They want who's more into music than more into football. Yeah. So uh, for me, I would say um, that Cam Newton, it's, it's short. Um, it's been, uh, he's had a shortened career. He's a great player. He's phenomenally talented, but I think that his career is coming to an end. It's looking bleak. Now I'm not saying he won't end up on an NFL roster by the time the season starts or by the season ends, but I will say that, listen, it's uh, what it's going into June. And, and Cam Newton doesn't have a spot yet. So that's concerning for me. So there, I think I was right on that. Okay. Okay. Um, next, where I was wrong. A few weeks ago, I came out and I said that Joe Flacco is a dumpster heap, uh, a flaming garbage. <laughs> and that's correct. Uh, but I also said that, um, that Joe Flacco would not be on an NFL roster. I was wrong on that. Um, actually, and – I thought this was a good pickup by them. Uh, the Jets pick up Joe Flacco, who the Jets have a promising young quarterback. Um, Sam Darnold, he, he looks good. Um, he's a West Coast guy, but he's got a Midwest attitude. Uh, he goes in there and he puts in the work in New York. Um, he came out there, had a pretty great season, and, and had mono for, for, what, four games? And, uh, you know, his season was successful. And I think that having a a veteran backup like Joe Flacco that will go in there and show him the ropes, even though Joe Flacco is trash, we have to remember that he has won a Super Bowl. And so I think that that's very important and that that was a good good pick. Okay, Chris, where were you right? Okay, I'm going to try this out. So I was right with – the LeBron MJ debate and MJ being the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Now, I came into that, the last dance, which I did last week, I came into that just knowing MJ as this myth, as this larger than life human being that did whatever he wanted to do on the basketball court, but to a much higher extent without a ton of game film, footage, behind-the-scenes looks, as if I was actually living alive during his era, which I was, but I was like four years old. Uh, But after watching that docuseries, I am validated, I'm right, in that he is the GOAT just by seeing the the mastery of his skills, which I've seen how he could get, get mad buckets in a time where People didn't expect guys of his position to carry a team, how he stuck with the team, how he was resilient, how he pushed others, and how he came through in the clutch time and time again, how he won six championships and just did it in a way that he, he just did it. They, they, they were just – they just, just – they just took care of the competition, and he at times just willed them to get there and just willed them to finish off the job. And you, know, you think about some of the moments where 
in his career look like, oh, okay, like, you know, I'm really going to get this done or I'm, I'm, I really need to finish this game off. Those scenarios were in game fives, game sixes, but he put that much pressure on himself. He was that confident in himself that I'm not looking for another game. I'm looking for the game right now. I need to finish this out right now, right here. And so uh, I believe I was right in, uh, in Michael Jordan being the GOAT, uh, even though that might sound pretty easy for some people, but I know some people also don't consider him the GOAT. So that's my take right there. And then where I was wrong, man, I got I to gotta, uh, kind of think about this. You, you know, I'm not wrong often, Mitch, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Where I was wrong. Oh, do, do you have a take for me? I'm I'm really trying to think. I'm not gonna lie. This 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 is new to me. Also, all right, all right. That's cool. Um, you think about what you did wrong. I'm gonna go with what was right. Listen, uh, where I was right. Uh, the odds came out on the Arizona Cardinals. Listen, uh, plus seven hundred oh, odds to win their again. Um, and, and plus 5,000 odds to win the Super Bowl. Uh, listen, they were close to the end of the board last year. Uh, they're kind of in the middle of the pack this year. And so I think that the Arizona Cardinals, they're a good team. They're going to be a good team. They're going yeah. to be competitive. Uh, they have Kyler Murray. They went out. They got DeAndre Hopkins. They had a good draft. And so – when I look at the Cardinals, I don't see – I don't think they're going to compete for a Super Bowl. Listen, I never said that, even though you did, even though you did think yeah. I said that. Listen, yeah. I never said that, okay? Um, but what I will say is that I think they're going to compete, and I think that they will be at least 500 this season. Uh, and I'll stick with that. And, and listen, they do have a shot to win, to win their division. That's where I was right. I was right on that, Chris. I'm sorry, but I was right on that. Okay, where I was wrong um, – Listen, a few weeks back, I um, foolishly said that I think that the Bengals were going to win more games than the Steelers. Uh, listen, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. Uh, I don't see that ending. Uh, one, they have, a, they have a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, they have an elite defense. They have Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, who yep. struggled last year, but I think they had tape on him, uh, and they figured him out a little bit more. Uh, I was wrong on the fact – I think I'm wrong on the fact that, that uh, the Bengals are going to win more than the Steelers, uh, especially given the fact that there's not going to be a rookie minicamp. Uh, and, and, and training camp will be limited, uh, even though the NFL is, is opening up their facilities. I was wrong on that. I think that the Bengals will be in last place in our in our division, okay. um, and I think that I, I think that the Steelers will have a winning season this year. Okay, uh, I've got my wrong now. So where I was wrong, you were wrong about the Arizona Cardinals, Chris. No, no. I, <laughs> apparently, who is it? I'm I'm getting you Super Bowl tickets for the Cardinals next month. And what else is it? Somebody's jersey. Whose jersey is it? Uh, Gio Bernard. Gio Bernard. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so where I was wrong was um, that Jamal Adams will not be a Jet next season. I thought for sure the New York Jets would lock up their superstar safety, um, who seems to fit the personality of New York so well, uh, and an elite talent who seemed to be just the leader of that defense for another 
I don't want to say decade because it's hard to find NFL players that are truly with the team for a decade, but pushing a decade for sure, um, definitely for his prime. Uh, but it looks like the they still the Jets and the and Jamal Adams have not been able to come to terms on extension. And it looks now that is very real possibility possibility that they are going to be trading him off, uh, and so. That's where I was wrong. Uh, uh, it looks like Jamal Adams will not be New York Jet next year. All right, odds on where he goes quickly. Man, it's tough. I'd have to look at salary caps. What makes sense is a contender. Uh, Browns. No, I'm Browns. just kidding. I don't think the Browns will get him. But I mean, that would be nice. That, that would be super, super nice. Yeah. Uh, think about a team like Baltimore, like how he would fit in perfectly. Uh, as as almost a missing piece on that defense, um, a leader, a true leader on that defense that they haven't had since the likes of Ed Reed or Ray Lewis. Uh, well, they had they had T. Swizzle, they had Terrell Suggs. So since Terrell Suggs, I guess. But I think Baltimore would be a scary one for us, but a terrific move for the Ravens. Listen, I think uh, I don't know if they're in the market or not, but I think uh, you take. I think the Arizona Cardinals should try and take them. Oh, uh, one nice. because they have a already they have a baller in Isaiah Simmons. That dude is a baller. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think they're missing some pieces on defense. I think that that would really sure up that side of the ball. Yeah. Um, other team I could possibly see him going to would be a team that already um, has a pretty decent defense already. Uh, and values defense, and that would be the Green Bay Packers. I think that would be a really good fit oh, for him. That would be a terrific fit, yeah. Um, think, think about Arizona, too. When you, when you have a young nucleus on both sides of the ball, you really really can't top that. Uh, so, yeah, that, that'd be, that would be really good. I agree with you. So, all right, man. Hey, it's the end of the day, dude. It's time for our signature segment, Who's Fried? Yep. Chris, who is fried today? Oh, man. You know, I almost – I almost feel like putting myself in for who's fried just based off this weather. I feel like I've just been just sweating nonstop whenever I get outside, which obviously makes sense. It's been close to 90 and humidity every day. Um, I think I'm copping out on this one, man. It hasn't been a ton of sports news for me. I mean, Dak Prescott being fried, that's a good one. But I think I'm going to cop out and go with the traditional GMO, you know, especially when we talk about Baker Mayfield, man. I, Gmo, you're still fried, and Gmo's fried because, you know, he hasn't even downloaded Warzone yet. I mean, what's this guy doing with himself? Uh, and so, Gmo, you are who's fried for me this week. Uh, we really need to work on your uh, on your takes. Um, we really got to get him on the show, honestly. Maybe maybe we should give him a platform to explain himself. Yeah, maybe we should. Uh, who's fried for me today? Um, Listen, I always thought that Damian Lillard was a real A guy. I thought he really liked to win. Uh, but Damian Lillard came out today, and um, and he said that uh, he won't play in the rest of the NBA season if uh, the Blazers don't have an opportunity to win a championship. Listen, dude, you're better than that, Damian Lillard. Uh, you get paid millions of dollars to go and play basketball. Uh, I understand load management. I have no problems with load management. I really like that LeBron does it. I really like that Kawhi does it. I think it extends their career. I think it's very smart. I think load management is really smart. Um, what I don't think is smart is that you're not in contention. And honestly, that's your own fault. Uh, if you want to be in contention, then play better. Play better defense. 
okay. make steals, go down, shoot the ball better, uh, don't miss don't miss shots. But listen, you get paid to be a professional athlete, and you not saying, listen, I'm not playing if, if I don't have a chance at the championship. Listen, you did not earn a chance at the championship based off of your regular season performance and your team's regular season performance. So if you're going to quit, then quit. That's fine. But just know that the rest of the NBA and fans look down on you and you're kind of a loser for that. You're still my dude. You still spit fire. You still spit bars. You're still one of my favorite players. But um, but that's fried for you to come out and say that. That's fried. So. I, I, I could see that being a bluff. I, I mean, I don't know Damian Lillard personally, but – I can see that being a bluff, but yeah, that, that is fried for right now. Cool. All right, Chris, man. Great show. Uh, we tried to fit it. I think we did pretty good. I think we kept it to an hour, uh, maybe yeah. a little over. Um, we've been running over, uh, but we, we, we did solid today, man. I want to congratulate you on a good show. Yeah. Um, also, Hey, before we go, I just want to give a shout out to everybody who has served in, in the armed forces uh, yep. with, with Memorial day. Yes. Well, Monday, I guess because we're recording this on Tuesday, it'll come out on Wednesday. So, yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted to dedicate this show to you guys. Um, you're the, you're the reason that, uh, well, and ladies, uh, you guys are the reason that we can come out and, and talk freely, uh, discuss freely vote in elections, um, yep. and, and, and live our lives and go worship wherever we worship, man, we, we can go and we can do that. We have access to that. And so uh, for all of the servicemen and women out there that served and are listening and is listening to the podcast, I just, this is a thank you uh, from my family and the sports booth family to, yep. to yours. Absolutely. So. Yep. I, yep. I totally second that, uh, you know, the, the ultimate sacrifice, uh, you know, lay down one's life um, for others cannot be, cannot be uh, misrepresented. And so, yeah. I would love to, yeah, thank you for your service. And uh, and we're praying for, you know, families that, you know, broken families that may be a result of, you know, another one's sacrifice. Um, so, yep, always thankful, extremely thankful for that. Yeah, hey, and uh, last, hey, sorry, since we're talking about this, I just want to share the story Yeah. Um, just quickly, and I'll hit the highlights. Uh, Rand's grandfather is 94 years old. Okay. Um, he is a World War II veteran, uh, mm-hmm. served in the Airborne, 82nd. And um, he was a paratrooper, and he jumped into, uh, jumped into the Battle of the Bulge, and he landed uh, 12 miles away in enemy territory. And, oh. um, yeah, and he ended up fighting his way back to uh, Allied lines, and captured wow. 30 Germans along the way. And, uh, and he's in the Washington County Veterans Hall of Fame. Um, and and to, to chat with him, he's like, um, and to chat with him is just such an honor and a privilege every day. Yeah. And so, um, so if you're a veteran out there, or even if you're serving right now, listen, you have no clue how you can impact somebody's life. Just by serving and, and talking about your service. So, yep, yep. Uh, from, you know, it's such, it's so undervalued, you know, people go and they give their lives every day, you know, and just like the Bible says, man, listen, greater love has this. 
that he would lay down his life for what his friends, you know what I'm saying? So to every soldier that has fallen um, and every soldier that's put their life on the line, listen, uh, whether we know it or not, you're, you're my friend. And, and so, um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Chris, Hey, uh, it's been a great show, man. I'll see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great show, man.